0: Chapter 7 of The House of Love. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The House of Love by Elizabeth Cheney. The Blue Dress. The next morning, when the wild carryall with the entire family was about a quarter of a mile beyond the green, on their way to church, Old Brewster, the horse, suddenly went lame. "'There's no use trying to go on,' said Thaddeus gravely, inspecting the right hind leg with tentative fingers. "'I expect it's rheumatiz. At any rate, we can't drive a sufferin' animal up that long hill. And besides, we'd never get there till after the benediction. Kelsey, you run along back to the barn and ride Jessup round here, and then you can lead Brewster slow-like back home while I drive the folks.' "'Well, if this ain't a pretty howdy-do,' grumbled Abigail. "'Just the Sunday before Thanksgiving, when the Waverleys from far and near, "'will lots of be back to see their folks, "'and two or three brides in the bunch at that.' "'Poor Grandma, who seldom had an outing except on Sunday mornings, "'looked ready to cry. "'It's quite a disappointment,' she said feebly. "'It makes the time seem so long between.' "'I'm glad of it,' said Relia, the wearing of whose velvet coat was no longer a novelty. "'I hate church anyhow.' She had not forgotten that Doris was to sing in the choir for the first time, although Doris herself had not referred to the matter. For a few moments Doris felt as if she must burst into tears— She would feel so ashamed not to be there after the Meldons and Miss Courtney had been so kind, and would expect her to appear in her place. Then she realized that if it were right for her to go, nothing could keep her back, lame horses or even Mrs. Wilde. Just then Miss Graves came along with her one-seated sleigh. "'Good morning!' she called out cheerily. "'What is the matter?' And she drew up the brown mare alongside of the wagon. "'Brewsters took bad in one of his legs,' replied Thaddeus. "'We've sent back for Jessup.' "'Well, I'm sorry I can't take you all in,' said Miss Graves. "'I can squeeze two small people like Grandma and one of the children in with me.' "'Oh, let me go, let me go,' cried Aurelia, starting to climb down over the wheel. Uh, "'Now I think of it, my dear.' "'said Miss Graves suavely. i had better take Doris, because Mr. Meldon will expect her in the processional. "'Come, Mrs. Lane, come, Doris!' "'Aurelia had only wanted to go in order to keep Doris at home, "'and her temper blazed hotly as she saw the trio slip gaily over the snow. "'Mrs. Wilde herself was too furious for words for a few moments. "'Then she said savagely, This is going beyond all bounds. I didn't get the youngin' up here to be made of and put forward. The thing shall stop and stop right away. Don't begrudge the child a little time off, said Thaddeus. She works like a woman. She works all right, replied Abigail. That's one thing that frets me. I can't find fault with what she does. It's her. I hate her she'd only get mad or even sulky or sassy i'd like her better you can't get a good chance at anybody that don't answer back and there ain't no good excuse for punishing this choir business is what gets me and i don't know how to help if i want really's picture painted for the exhibition well it don't do you no hurt does it queried thaddeus doris works overtime early and late to make up and she sure doesn't interfere with really poor little critter like that ain't going to get in the way of anybody let her take a bit of comfort if she can get it she gets enough comfort playing with our daughter declared abigail this gallivanting has got to come to an end just as soon as really's picture is done it is a regrettable fact that kelsey Starr did not hurry on his errand the sight of mrs wilde and aurelia stalled beside the snowy road on their way to church was one to be cherished in the mind, beside the companion picture of Miss Annette Graves's cutter speeding on his way to the ridge. Even while he was entering the stall to untie Jessop, he stopped, slapped his leg, and chortled unrighteously. As for Doris, Miss Graves took her into the vestry room, procured her black gown and surplice, shielded the plaid dress from observation, while the little robe was adjusted, concealing under its simple friendly folds the shabbiness of the poor, even as it also hid from admiring eyes costly fabrics of the rich. Doris felt wonderfully at ease, and had never looked so well in her life. Her heavy, handsome braid of glinting brown hair hung down her back quite unrivaled in fineness and color and weight by any other in the score of girls. Her eyes were alight with excitement and pleasure, Miss Graves did not leave her until she had been assigned her place beside another girl at the end of the line. Then from the distant organ came the opening chords of the Church's One Foundation. Miss Courtney gave them the exact pitch, and the ranks moved on slowly, slowly into the dim, beautiful sanctuary, singing the glorious words to that inspiring tune that of all others belongs to them. "'Talk about matches being made in heaven!' miss graves at once remarked that's one of them. to doris it seemed like a heavenly dream when she found herself seated in the choir stall sheltered by position and numbers from the eyes of the congregation her poverty out of sight beneath the comforting vestments only last sunday she was standing down there near the entrance humiliated and suppressed by the inimical personality of her mistress Today she was helping to lead the worship of the whole congregation, for that hour at least, free as any to praise the loving Father who is ever mindful of his own. That some of the girls did not regard her with favor did not trouble her at all. The house of love is not only a fold and a fort, but it is a palace. They are the king's children who dwell there. Who can look down on the king's daughter in her father's house? Miss Graves was on hand to help her into her hat and coat, as before intervening skilfully between unfriendly eyes and the cheap clothing. Mr. Meldon came and spoke cordially to her. You did well, he said. Miss Courtney charged her not to forget the early lesson on the next Saturday. Doris smiled. Imagine forgetting to eat if she were very hungry. The start homeward was somewhat delayed as Miss Graves had another prolonged confab with Mrs. Meldon and her sister. "'Dear Grandma,' said Doris, giving the old lady's arm a loving squeeze, when they were finally tucked into the sleigh and on their way home. "'Weren't you a bit lonesome this morning?' "'No,' replied Mrs. Lane. "'I weren't. It seemed sort of restful-like.' Miss Graves took them to the horse-block in front of their house, and as they thanked her and said good-bye, she remarked to Doris, the next time you come down to the store, be sure and come in, whether I see you and knock on the window or not. But I'm sure I can't come very soon, said Doris. Mrs. Wilde laid in a stock of things yesterday. I'll see that she gets there, said grandma, somehow or other. Doris was so happy that she felt prepared to meet the worst that Mrs. Wilde had in waiting, for she knew that the latter was very sore about the episode of the morning. "'Well, here comes Adeliner Patty,' she sneered as Doris opened the door. "'Didn't the whole congregation lay down their singing books to listen? "'Guess they wouldn't want to look very long if they got one good side of that face of hers.' "'Aurelia, who was also in a bad mood, giggled insolently. "'There, there,' said Thaddeus, drawing up his chair to the table. "'That's enough.' Doris flushed a little, but said not a word as she passed through to put her hat and coat in their accustomed place. "'She seems like a big, angry wasp,' she thought. "'But she really hasn't any sting. She thinks she has, and she makes a terrible buzzing. But it's outside of my house.' There was always a lull on Sundays in the activities of the household, and Doris looked forward to an hour or two that she might possibly have to herself in the afternoon, but to-day, after she had toiled unassisted over the mountain of dishes, Mrs. Wilde brought out a large biscuit-box half-filled with buttons of all shapes and sizes, and a yard of old muslin, with needle, thimble, and thread. "'Now,' she said to Doris, "'you may sew on buttons for the next two hours.' "'Mother never sewed on Sunday,' replied Doris. "'She didn't think it was right.' "'Well, I'm not your mother,' snapped Abigail. "'And thank fortune for that. "'This will help you remember not to walk right over your betters next time. "'Mr. Wilde and Reely and me are going for a ride. "'Grandma will be taking her nap, "'and Kelsey Starr always walks to Kent on Sunday afternoons, "'so it will be quiet enough here for a while, "'and the buttons won't give out. "'Put them on in even rows way across the cloth.' The wilds departed. Grandma went to her room, and Kelsey came down into the kitchen, prepared to start for his usual visit. When he saw Doris perched on a high wooden chair at the table with a heap of buttons before her. "'Oh, Moses,' said Kelsey, "'what has the dragon given you to do now?' "'It's punishment,' replied Doris. "'It's about the tiresomest things she could think of, "'but it doesn't mean anything.' "'Just sewing on buttons for the sake of sewing them on. "'Buttons that aren't used at all. "'I was just thinking, when you came down, "'that perhaps I can turn it into something pleasant.' "'I'll tell you,' exclaimed Kelsey, "'pulling off his worn overcoat and beaming enthusiastically. "'I'll bring down one of my books and read to you.' "'But you'll lose your afternoon in Kent,' said Doris. "'I don't want you to give that up on my account.' "'I hadn't any special engagement,' replied Kelsey. "'I have a standing invitation to supper at two or three places, "'but nobody knows whether I'm coming "'or makes a bit of difference on my account. "'I'd much rather stay and help you pass the afternoon. "'Just wait a bit.' "'And Kelsey ran upstairs two steps at a time "'and came back with Anne of Geierstein. "'This is one of my favorites,' said he. "'Of course, we can't get very far with the story, "'but we'll trust to luck to finish it some time.' Have you read any of Scott? Doris turned a bright and grateful countenance toward her good night. I've read parts of Ivanhoe aloud, she replied, and all of the Lady of the Lake. What is this one about? It takes you right into the heart of the Swiss Alps, said Kelsey, and the ruin of an old castle. But you're not going to sit perched up on that hard chair. Here's Grandma Lane's little rocker that she certainly hasn't any use for while she's asleep. "'and I'll help myself to this big one out of the sitting-room. "'We might as well be comfortable. "'And here's a bag of candy,' he went on, drawing it from his jacket pocket. "'I got it for you the other evening when I took my lesson.' "'Now we're all ready to begin,' said Doris, "'as she settled herself in the rocker, "'and Kelsey had drawn his own chair by the sunny southern window. "'This isn't very bad punishment after all.' "'Helping herself to one of the caramels,' and shoving the bag along the table to where Kelsey could reach it too. Kelsey began the story, and it was not many minutes before the gentle Wizard of the North held them both under the power of his enchantment. After an hour, Grandma came down with a book of sermons that she always read on Sunday afternoons. "'No, keep the chair,' she said as doors rose quickly, scattering buttons from the table to the stove. "'I'll sit in the other room. That's my darnin' chair.' And my potato peelin chair, and I see enough of it all the week. When I get tired of readin, I'll watch out for the folks and tell you they're comin. They won't get back much before dark, said Kelsey, for mister Wilde said he wanted to see mister Burroughs on the road to North Kent. Oh, Kelsey, said Doris, I do so want to know what comes next. She had paused with her needle in the air while Arthur Phillipson made his precarious way. Along the narrow ledge of the precipice, and now that he hung between heaven and earth on the decayed trunk of an old tree, with an alpine vulture regarding him with mortuary interest from a crag near by, she could hardly breathe between hope and fear. Don't forget those buttons, Doris, said Kelsey. Everything is coming, but just fine. Then, as if in answer to Arthur's prayer to the Virgin, Anne of Geierstein, calm, strong, and compassionate, emerged from the mist. Kelsey read on until Doris, glancing at the clock, said, "'It really is time to put on the tea kettle and set the table. I've had a splendid time. Thank you so much.' "'There's this about Scott,' said Kelsey enthusiastically. "'One can't read him without wanting to be brave and true and unselfish and clean through and through. His very last words when he was dying were, "'Be good, my dear, be good. Now you see?' "'I've yet a whole hour in which to run down to Kent, little girl. "'I'll leave the book in your care, "'for perhaps before Mrs. Wilde gets back "'you will have time to read some more.' "'Half an hour later, Mr. Wilde and Aurelia "'returned without Mrs. Wilde. "'You see,' said Thaddeus to Grandma, "'Edson Burrows's wife was feeling sort of under the weather "'when we got there, and a little later "'she was took awful bad with one of her faintin fits, "'and Edson says it's her heart.' She went from one into another and Edson had to go to Kent for a doctor and telegraph for her sister to come in the morning. There ain't no woman in the house except a green Danish girl that don't know no English and there wasn't anything to be done but for Gail to stay all night and look after things. She probably won't come home till the sister gets there. Aurelia was hungry and sleepy from her long drive in the cold and wanted to go right to bed. She was still cross with Doris and did not ask for a story. Grandma insisted on helping with the supper dishes, so Doris had an evening under the lamp and an opportunity to read several chapters in the fascinating book. As she went to bed and thought over the day, she felt very grateful for all that it had brought her, and there were certainly next Saturday afternoon and Sunday to look forward to all week. "'I hope it isn't wicked,' she said to herself as she took off the dingy plaid dress with its startling new front breadth, and laid it over a chair for the night." to wish I had a nicer dress to wear up to the ridge. The dress was one that had been brought to her the spring before by a deaconess in New York, who was distributing a quantity of cast-off clothing. There was ink on the front breadth, and after coming to the Wilds, a hot coal had burned a hole as an additional decoration. Unfortunately, the plaid was of a standard pattern, and Mrs. Wild had been able to match the goods in Kent. It doesn't seem to me went on Doris, that a dress like that really belongs in the beautiful house of love, not for very bestest, anyhow. God must have plenty of nice clothes in little girl sizes, whole trunks full. I know he'll send me one, too. Mother said I am his little girl, and rich people always want their children to look nice. There was no difficulty at all the next morning in the way of sending Doris to the store, for Grandma was quite out of peppermint drops, and there was nobody at home to suggest that she could wait until another time. Consequently, Doris appeared at the house of Miss Graves and received a very cordial welcome. "'Was Mrs. Wilde angry yesterday because I carried you off?' she asked. "'She was real disappointed not to get to church,' said Doris. "'Did she do anything to you?' went on Miss Graves. Doris smiled as she recalled her pleasant Sunday afternoon. She went away right after dinner, said Doris, and hasn't come home yet. Somebody's ill. Oh, yes, I know, said Miss Graves. It's Jenny Burrows. She's worse this morning. Lia Smith was in for mail and told me. Now take off your coat. Doris obeyed wonderingly, while Miss Annette took a tape measure from her work-basket, and began carefully to take the length of her skirt, which she wrote down on a slip of paper. "'It'll bear just another half-inch,' she said, proceeding with the other measurements. "'You needn't ask any questions. Somebody just your age and height is going to have a new dress. The stuff will be here this afternoon, and I want you again tomorrow morning.' "'I'm afraid I can't get away,' said Doris." Tell Grandma Lane I want you and she will manage somehow. Perhaps Abigail Wilde won't be back. Now sit down again. You could stay long enough to eat this nice big orange. Oranges at the Wilds appeared only on Aurelia's table. Doris had had very few in her whole life. "This makes me think," she said, "of last Christmas. "'The deaconess brought my mother and me a basket with butter and eggs "'and a roasted chicken and six big oranges. "'I was so sorry that my mother did not like the oranges.' "'I thought everybody liked them,' said Miss Graves. "'Well, she said she really did not care for any,' said Doris, "'and that I must have one every day for six days. "'I used to beg her just to taste of one, "'and perhaps she would find she liked it after all.' "'So one day she did take a tiny piece to please me, "'but she shook her head and said, "'No, dear, it doesn't appeal to me at all.' "'And they were just like this,' went on Doris, "'big and sweet and juicy.' "'There were tears in Miss Graves's kind blue eyes, "'but Doris did not see them. "'Shortly after she had left, Silas and Pepper came along with the noon mail from Kent.' Aside from the mail-sack, Silas handed to Miss Graves a brown paper parcel, forwarded from a dry-goods shop in response to an order sent down by him that morning by Mrs. Meldon to a saleswoman, who had waited on her for several years. The parcel contained several yards of fine, soft goblin-blue cashmere, with silk for feather-stitching and for sewing, and two yards of wide ribbon the very same shade for somebody's hair. "'I'll buy the goods if you make the dress,' Mrs. Meldon had said on Sunday. "'And you must manage about that cantata,' said Miss Graves. "'I won't appear on the scene next time.' "'I'll take Gladys Courtney,' said the first conspirator. "'Miss Graves spent a busy afternoon cutting and basting. "'Mrs. Wilde did not get home until the next noon, "'quite after Doris had been fitted to the pretty cashmere.' Mrs. Meldon brought the package with her to the Wilds when she came to call two days later. Mrs. Wild was in rather a subdued frame of mind. She had seen Jenny Burrows go very near to the river of death, but here was the Meldon sleigh again, and could she believe her eyes? Not only Mrs. Meldon, but Miss Courtney, whose mother was a straight Waverly, and who was at the very topmost notch of the Ridge Society. "'For the land's sake!' she exclaimed. "'Mar, just look at them furs, will you? "'I suppose she's noticed really, too, and wants her for something or other.' "'Doris opened the front door, this time without a mishap, "'as the lock had been oiled, "'and returned the greeting of the ladies modestly, "'but with the rare smile of which she was quite unconscious. "'After the usual preliminary remarks on the good sleighing and bright weather,' Miss Courtney proceeded straight to the matter on hand. "'We are arranging,' she said, "'for our Christmas cantata to be given in the hall on Christmas Eve. "'It is to be a very beautiful production. "'My sister, Miss Vida Courtney, has written the words, "'and Mr. Meldon has composed the music. "'There are a few tableaux to be interspersed with the scenes, "'and we need a small group of angels, "'and have come to ask if your daughter may be one of them.' There will, of course, be several extra rehearsals besides those on Saturday afternoons, but if you can send the two girls up by Silas Webb, when he brings the evening mail from Kent, we will among us see that they are sent home safely about nine o'clock on such evenings as we are obliged to rehearse. "'The two girls?' repeated Mrs. Wilde. "'You surely don't want Doris Avery for an angel!' "'We have assigned another part to Doris.' "'said Mrs. Meldon. "'As she is a member of our chorus choir, "'of the juvenile portion, of course, "'there are no others than cantata "'outside of the senior, intermediate, and junior choirs. "'Each one must be in his or her place.' "'Mrs. Wilde longed to disapprove openly, "'but for Aurelia's sake she could not afford "'to displease these Ridge ladies. "'You know,' she said, "'that Doris Avery is no relation of ours.' "'Do you know anything of her parentage, Mrs. Wilde? inquired Miss Courtney. "'Nothing much,' replied Mrs. Wild. "'My husband has a sort of distant cousin down in New York, "'and I wrote to her for someone to help. "'This child's mother just died, "'and some people had taken her in for a few days. "'The mother had a good reputation and sold for a living. "'They were dreadfully poor.' "'May I speak with Doris?' "'said Miss Courtney blandly. "'Certainly,' replied Mrs. Wilde, smiling frostily, and raging within as she rose to call Doris, "'who came into the room and stood timidly near the door. "'Come here, my dear,' said Miss Courtney. "'I have brought you the words you are to sing in the cantata. "'Mrs. Wilde has kindly consented to allow you "'to come up to rehearsals with Aurelia, "'who is going to be an angel.' "'These are your lines, and I hope you will have them memorized by Saturday. "'Now go and speak with Mrs. Meldon. "'Mrs. Wild, may your daughter come here a moment?' "'Aurelia was hustled into a clean ruffled apron and duly produced. "'Her waving hair fell in a loose mass almost to her waist. "'Yes,' said Miss Courtney, sitting with her head on one side, "'and turning Aurelia partly around. "'You are exactly what we need.' just raise your hands a bit so now look up that is excellent we may depend on her may we not mrs wild i guess she can get there all right responded abigail her gratified pride for the moment surmounting all other emotions the ladies rose to leave and mrs meldon extended the paper parcel toward mrs wild saying graciously "'We know what it means, Mrs. Wilde, for a very busy woman like yourself to take a little girl whom you must necessarily clothe for the winter. "'Some of us have hoped to assist you in the good work, and we trust you will accept for Doris this dress, which we will be pleased to see her wear when she comes to rehearsals and on Sundays. "'Her costumes in the cantata will be provided. The committee arranges for all the costumes.' "'Thank you, ma'am, I'm sure,' said Mrs. Wilde, grasping the parcel and wishing it were a chicken that she might wring its neck. "'Thank you. You are very thoughtful.' To think that she had to take it, that she had to look pleased, that she had to give it to Doris. Doris gave the ladies a look that was more than any speech, for it was veiled by grateful tears. As they drove away Miss Courtney said thoughtfully, "My dear Isabel, that is a far from ordinary child; and what is more, I have seen her face somewhere; if it were not for the freckles, and her face had matured a little more, she would certainly be beautiful." "She has such charming manners," said mrs Meldon, "my children can hardly wait for her to come again and tell them another story. "'But where have I seen that face?' mused Miss Courtney. "'Now that you speak of it,' said Mrs. Meldon, "'it seems familiar to me also.' "'Aren't we a couple of born diplomats?' laughed Miss Courtney, giving over her quest in memory's dusty attic. "'Couldn't we give sops to old Cerberus himself?' "'But I fear that the poor child has to work doubly hard to earn her little outings,' "'Miss Graves is sure it is so, although she cannot induce her to complain of anything,' said Mrs. Meldon. "'We will try and make the outings doubly pleasant, then,' said Miss Courtney, as they waved and nodded smilingly to their fellow conspirator, Miss Graves, who was waiting in a front window of her house when they came by. Mrs. Wilde had jerked open the parcel before the ladies were out of sight. The soft, pretty blue dress and wide, generous lengths of hair-ribbon slipped to the floor in her haste. "'You run along, Doris Avery,' she said. "'You'll get all this finery when I see fit to give it to you. How ever could they guess your size? See, Mar, the idea of buying such goods and such ribbons for a charity, un Aurelia here seized on the gift, crying. It's prettier than mine! Lots prettier! And made as if she would throw the daintily made garment toward the coal-hod. For an instant, Doris wanted to cry out in protest, but immediately she realized that no one would dare to injure the gift of the ridge ladies, and that her beautiful present was safe. How she longed to gather it carefully into her own arms, and carry it up to her little room, and bury her face in its fine folds, letting the silky stream of glistening ribbon run through her fingers in an ecstasy of possession. But here Abigail had her opportunity to thwart and annoy, and she bore away the treasured present into the abandoned parlour, and coming away locked the door and put the key in her pocket. But Doris revelled in the sense that the things were really hers, and in the cold and darkness of the stiff country parlour. They seemed to glow with a beauty quite beyond their own quiet charm. It was a comfort that Grandma knew, and was glad, too. And that night, when the stairs were climbed for the last time, until the next day brought its repeated duties, Grandma came and sat on Doris's bed, and they talked it all over in the dark with bated breath. "'I was thinking only Sunday night,' whispered Doris, "'that my plaid dress wasn't good enough to wear in the house of love.' Not for very best, anyhow. And here it's only Thursday. And just think, Grandma, what's down in the parlor? I know that there's surprises and surprises in God's beautiful house. But you see, dear, said Grandma, patting the small hand in the six and three quarter white kid glove, the ladies must have planned to buy and make the dress before you ask the Lord for it. Now that's the beauty of it exclaimed Doris, raising up on one elbow. For it shows that just the needing of something sounds to God very much like asking. End of Chapter 7 Read by Jennifer Wilson